Hey there, what are you doing? Just looking at birds. Welcome, I'm your host Chris. Join me as I interview avid birders to learn more about birds, birding, and those who love both. In today's episode, you'll hear advice that my guests have shared during their interviews over the course of the first eight episodes. A new birder might question how they are birding and whether or not they are doing it correctly. Dan and Jenny offer some insight. The main thing I would say to them is that they don't have to be any different birder than they want to be. Um, I I brought a quote to share with you from Ken Kaufman, who's one of America's most well-known birders, and he often is asked to define what is a birder, what is a bird watcher, and and his statement is, birding is something that we do for enjoyment, so if you enjoy it, you're a good birder. If you enjoy it a lot, you're a great birder. So for anyone that's new, uh, it's like being new in any field. Recognize that there's lots that you don't know, but you can learn at your own pace. You don't have to be a lister. You don't have to chase birds. You can if you want to. Just find what, what you enjoy and find the resources to help you learn and just enjoy the time you have, whether it's just sitting on your porch and looking at birds or going out on your own, or finding friends or people in the community who will take you out. Be at peace with the level of birder you are, and make sure you enjoy what you're doing. I think birding is such a fun thing, and and working at a, a you know a local Audubon chapter like the Tucson Audubon Society, this is something I encounter a lot: are new birders, people who are just getting into it, and not pigeonholing yourself. I think is one of the biggest most helpful pieces of advice that um, I can give is that birding is whatever you want it to be. Mm -hmm. Don't let people tell you what birding is or how you should do it. If you want to have your bird watching be at the level where you're just looking at birds at your feet or outside your kitchen window, that's great. If you want to be super competitive and try to get more birds than anyone else in a, in a given calendar year, that's also great. So whatever level you want to do birding, whatever makes you happy about bird watching is the right way. Don't ever let anyone tell you you're doing birding wrong. When it comes to the act of birding, Dan and Jenny agree that you should make it something that you enjoy. For me, I enjoy being out in nature soaking in the sights and sounds, and watching birds do what they do. Whether it's watching house sparrows hop around on the patio of a restaurant, seeing a vermilion flycatcher fly to and from a particular perch as it captures insects, or witnessing a northern cardinal return to their nest to feed their young. Most of the time, I'll bring a camera along to capture a specific pose or moment that will remind me later of a behavior I observed. So beyond actually birding, part of the enjoyment I get from birding is just looking at the pictures I've taken of the birds I've seen. When first getting into birding, it can be helpful to learn about the birds you see most often, those near your home or near your place of work. Bob and Marcia share a little bit about that. Wherever you live, you should familiarize yourself with the birds in your own space, your home, your yard birds. And uh, you can begin keeping a list of the bird species that you run into in your yard. You need to know what those birds are, what their names are, and you need to learn that before you branch out and go out into the field. The sooner you you understand what those birds are and what their names are, you'll get to a point where you see 
a different bird and you immediately recognize this is something different. Mm. And then that leads to another new bird and so on. I always tell people, learn the local birds. That way you'll know if anything rare shows up Mm. and listen to the songs. And sometimes don't even use your binoculars, just listen. Mm. Um, You know, as we're sitting here, I can hear birds all around us in this beautiful park. And sometimes that's what you need to do. You need to just slow down and don't don't think that there's something wrong with you when you get it wrong. Hmm. Lots of times new birders are afraid to shout out what they think it is because they're going to get corrected. When I have a new birder and I do need to correct, I'll say, let's look at this bird. Let's talk about what that bird is and why it's what it is. Hmm. So that's it's comes from my background of teaching, Mm -hmm. trying to help people to understand what they're looking at, talking about the bird parts. That's another thing in the field guides. Mm -hmm. There's a picture of a bird. Sure. Learn the parts of the bird. Learn where the undertail coverts are. Learn where the supercilium is because somebody's eventually going to say, look, there's a white supercilium. I don't know a single person who's not a birder who knows where the heck a supercilium is. Mm -hmm. It's the little line over your eyebrow. Okay. So it's a, yeah, and birds have distinctive spots and, mm. you know, dots and streaks. And so you need to know the bird body as well. So that's always helpful. And then just understand how to use the field guide. Okay. You know, learning where the warblers are in the field guide so you can get to them quick. When you want to learn more about birds, it's easier to focus on the ones near where you live and work. Without a concerted effort, I found myself recognizing the calls of house finches, lesser goldfinches, and morning doves. So when I heard an unfamiliar call, I knew it was a different bird, and I was excited to locate the source of the sound, so I could discover the bird that was making it. One that sticks out to me is the distinct call of the northern cardinal. Getting closer and seeing the splash of red within the bush really cemented the call in my mind. Now whenever I hear the call, I know that there is a northern cardinal nearby, probably hiding within some shrubbery. Ray points out the value of experience when looking at birds. I make it a point to say on almost every bird walk that I lead is to let people know that most of what I know and most of what bird trip leaders know are not the product of talent or being gifted. Uh, Because I think especially when you're new, you can experience frustration. And you could look at somebody who's a leader and say, oh, wow, oh, you know, oh, I don't I could, I didn't get that distinction or, you know, and it could, well, maybe I'm just not cut out to be a birder. The reality is uh, 90% of it uh, is um, experience. It's simply experience. I'm not better than you are. I'm simply much more experienced. And I took a slow learning curve, more than 30 years, to get here. And I think it's important for people to hear that so they don't grow frustrated. And they, they, can, they can have a vision and a path to see, you know, that it's, it's, increment, it's going to incrementally grow. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to know from the outset. So that one of the best things to do as a new birder is simply to get out and bird more often. Exactly. And to do it with other people. And, you know, accomplished birders are no different than other successful people. They're often the people who uh, maybe have even failed the most. Hmm. 
highly successful people, if you read biographies, typically have failed a lot and, and often failed a lot more. Yes. But they haven't allowed that to, uh, you know, stop them. Uh, so a lot of times, especially in social situations, you know, if, if we say something is, is such is bird A, and then we get corrected and it's bird B, you know, there can be a certain ego thing or a certain, you know, loss of face or the oh, embarrassment that somebody experiences. Hmm. Uh, and you have to kind of like try to let go of that. And when I'm on walks and somebody, you know, I try to not identify the bird right away. I try to let people work at it, mm -hmm. and that's how we're all learning. And if they work at it, and some people are hesitant to offer something sure. because they don't want to be embarrassed, you know, others do. And when people do, and it turns out to not be what they first said, I just kind of gently try to, like, so what was it about that bird that made you think it was that? Mm. And then eventually, in a gentle way, get to a place where, like, why why it wasn't that bird or what it is it about the bird you thought it was that doesn't match you know this bird is. exactly yeah. so it's just a gentle learning experience so i try to have a relaxed atmosphere so the people feel comfortable mm -hmm. that's the most important thing bob points out the value of participating in local bird walks probably the best way to familiarize yourself with birds is to go on bird walks mm -hmm. all of the state parks almost all of them, if not all of them, conduct bird walks sometimes two, three, four times a week. These are not charged for. You, you need to sometimes pay admission into state parks. Sure. But bird walks are, are given by volunteers in those parks, and they're free. They, they're not limited with the number of people that participate. And I would really encourage new birders to participate as much as possible in that because that's how they'll learn new birds. That's how they'll <clears throat> learn to recognize the calls and songs of birds hmm. and to recognize what to look for to identify birds. Once you're out on a bird walk and looking at birds, Prudy mentions the effect of movement and the value of blending in. The first thing that beginning birders and even uh, more intermediate birders like we are want to do is, oh, look at that bird over there, and you go point to it. Well, the first thing that happens when you point to a bird is the bird sees the movement. And when that movement occurs, that bird's off mm -hmm. because they felt that there was a threat. But if you just say something like, oh, the bird's up in the left quadrant of that tree and not move, they will not be bothered by your voice. They will not fly away. And just we do it ourselves. Like we say, oh, there's what was that bird over there? And you point. Mm -hmm. But the pointing is, is something I have to remind myself constantly not to do because the birds are frightened about movement. Yeah, they pay attention to the movement. Mm -hmm. Oh, the other thing, hmm. wear clothing to match your habitat. Yeah. And there's a book that's been written that's funny to read. It's called Birders Never Wear White. Oh. And uh, one of the things that you should avoid if you're going out on a Christmas bird count or your first trip is birders avoid white because white is something that birds are startled by. Hmm. Just try to blend with the environment by wearing browns and grays and greens. That's good to know. <laughs> when identifying a bird, Prudy also points out the importance of paying attention to the gestalt of a bird. As a birder from the time I was little, I always looked at the color of the bird. Hmm. And he's, most people do look at color. Oh, it was a red bird. And we look at size. But color and size 
are are variable depending on season, depending on lighting, and it's not a very predictable way to identify a bird. So if you talk about the gestalt, which is the general impression of a bird, more than just size and color, uh, where the bird is located, what's the habitat? Is it a field? Is it near water? Is it in the desert? Uh, that'll help you identify what kind of a bird it is. What is the bill like? If a bird eats seeds, it's got a very fat bill, like a finch, and is broad at the top. And if it's a warbler, it's a little skinny needle bill. And there's bill size, uh, like there are two birds I'm thinking of right now. One of them is a um, is a, a ruby-crowned kinglet, and the mm-hmm. other one is the Hutton's Vireo. Mm-hmm. And they're almost identical, but if you focus on their bill size rather than color or or size because those yeah. are going to be the same. If you look at the bill, and that's the gestalt. It's where was this bird? What is it doing? Is it going around the tree? What's its bill like? Is it going up and down the tree? Is it sitting still looking at me? Yeah. Those are pieces that will help you to cl- classify and identify a bird. And what does the bird sound like? Does it have a lilting song? Does it have a raspy croak? How does it fly? Lots of woodpeckers will fly in an undulating flight, and you all you'll see is a bird flying flying from one tree to another, but you can say, well, color, size was hard to tell, but it had an undulating flight. And somebody will immediately tell you, well, I know it's a woodpecker. Mm. So you can look at the whole of a bird rather than just the parts. That's the most important thing I think that Rick taught us. And that was very different from the way I learned birding when I was a kid. Karen points out why it is important to pay attention to the when and where of a bird sighting. I've heard a lot of people talk over the years and even specifically on your podcast about the gestalt of the bird and the behavior and bill size and all of that is super important. Mm -hmm. But if we're talking about a really new birder, I go back to basics. Think of the Merlin app as Mm -hmm. a good guide. What is the first thing Merlin asks you? When you are out birding and you want to ID a bird, they want to know where you are Mm -hmm. and when you are. Yeah. And that's pretty critical when you are because of the season Mm -hmm. and where you are for habitat. And then, of course, the size of the bird relative to other birds that you see. But right after that, Chris, what do they ask? They ask color, the Mm -hmm. main colors that you see. They don't ask you about beak size. They don't ask you about behavior until a little later. That's true. But they ask you about color. And we hear so much about don't rely on color. Well, that's great when you've become a more experienced birder. You've been out a couple of times. Color is critical. And also the ability to talk about color because we use terminology in birding like rufous to name a bird or to describe a color, or plumbius, same thing, to name or describe a color. And I think it might help new birders to learn those terms a little bit. I also think, and this is key for me, the number one thing I tell new birders is as often as you go out with a guide, go out at least as much by yourself. Mm. Because when you're with a guide and and they see a bird, they may do nothing more than point out the bird and tell you what it is and then move on. But when you are out in the field and you see a new bird, you are with that bird, you're spending time with that bird, you're opening up your field guide, you're running through a lot of similar species, maybe you're listening to the bird. And by the time you've narrowed down what that bird is, maybe only to genus, but hopefully to species, you own that bird. (laughs) That bird is yours, and you're not going to forget it. Sometimes when you're out and you're learning 5, 10, 15, 20 new birds 
a day, you don't remember them unless you found them yourself. So I think um, I think color is very important, and I, I don't disparage any new birder for learning color first, and I think going out and birding by yourself. It's challenging, and it can be extremely frustrating birding by yourself. What's there, yeah. But but like I said, when you have that bird, it's yours. I just want to come back to one of the words you mentioned, if you could. Give our listeners an easier definition to understand for Rufus. Rufus refers to red. Rufus coming from the Latin iron. Mm -hmm. And actually, Plumbius as well. Plumbius comes, I I think, a slightly different derivation, but Plumbius meaning lead. So some people almost say a purplish color, Mm -hmm. but a dark lead, dark gray color. And Rufus being, could be a cinnamony color, but generally a rusty, Mm. a rusty red color. Jeff talks about focusing in on the size and the shape of the bird. There's a couple of things. Uh, number one is focus. When it comes to identification, I think the single best approach is to focus on size and shape mm-hmm. before you're looking at colors and patterns. Mm. And the reason for that is um, size and shape is much less variable. So Mm. to give you an example, the yellow-rumped warbler, common warbler around southern Arizona, common warbler in in much of North America. Uh, You have the breeding male plumage. You have the breeding female plumage. You have the winter adult male plumage. You have the winter adult female plumage. Then you have the immature males and immature females. So that's Mm. six different plumages for one species of bird. And we have however many, you know, 900, almost 900 in North America. And they don't all show that variation. But if you're trying to uh, memorize field marks, it can get kind of overwhelming pretty quickly. However, size and shape is not going to change for any of that. You know, the males and the females, the young and the adults are all going to be about the same size and the same shape. So I would focus on that. When I mean shape, there's sort of a couple of things that come to mind. Um, mm. What shape is the bill and how long or short is it? So okay. a sparrow bill looks very different from a hummingbird bill, yeah. to use a really obvious example. So those two species, would, you know, those two groups would never likely be confused with each other. Yeah. Uh, the same, now, it must make it a little bit more realistic. Uh, a warbler and a vireo, those are bird, mm. two groups of birds that are often foraging up in the trees. They're quite active could easily be confused with each other, especially if they're way up high in a tree and you can't get a really good look at them. But if you do get a good look, the vireo bill is very different from the the warbler bill. Warbler Mm. bill is like a fine pair of tweezers, Mm -hmm. whereas if you look at the vireo bill, if you took like a jay's bill, Mm -hmm. a Mexican jay, and shrunk it, (laughs) that's what it looks like. So... The, you know, so the size and, and length or shortness of the bill, the length of the tail, short versus long. And by that, it's, it's kind of a relativity thing. So when you look at the body of, bird, of a bird, yeah. you wouldn't necessarily know if it's a long tail or a short tail by just sure. looking at the, at the bird. Well, how long is the tail relative to the body of the bird? Hmm. You know, does it look like it's about right? Does it look like it's longer than... You know, it's like two sizes too big, two sizes too small, yeah. that sort of thing. And and that's going to give you, I think, a much more solid foundation when it comes to identifying birds. And, and our it, it's tricky. You have to train yourself to think that way because our brains, are very, our brains and eyes are very good at detecting colors and patterns sure. and then interpreting them. So you kind of have to 
put your brain you know, on pause for a second while you're studying the size and shape. And then once you have a pretty good idea, hopefully you'll have a pretty good idea what group it goes to, then is when you look at the colors and patterns because that will usually help you to um, figure out which species it is you're actually looking at. So yeah. it's kind of the, I think it's sort of a reverse approach than, than what a lot of people think or what a lot of people try to do when they're first starting. Sure. And then also... Enjoy it. It's fun. But be in the moment. When you have a bird in front of you, take in all that that bird is offering you. To me, when you have a mystery bird show up and you're not sure what it is, it's kind of, to me, like an episode of CSI in that all of the evidence is there for us to identify. We (laughs) just have to figure out what's important evidence and what is a red herring. And so by studying the birds by studying where they are, what they're doing. Are they on the ground? Are they up in the trees? Are they staying relatively still? Are they moving around a lot? Time of year. Yeah. Some birds are here in the winter. Some birds are here in the summer. Some are here year-round. Those are the good ones to learn because you'll sure. see them every day. Um, the habitat you're in, uh, if they're making sounds, um, all of that's evidence to help you arrive in identification. And when you've been doing it for a while, a bird will fly by, and, and most people have probably experienced this, where they're on a, a bird walk with someone, and the bird flies by across the trail or whatever. You're not even sure it was a bird, maybe, because it was yeah. so fast. fast. And then the, the leader will say, oh, that was a so-and-so. And you might be like, how the heck did he or she know that was what that was? Well, they're yeah. taking its probability for where they are, the time of year, and then a quick assessment of the size and shape of that thing. Hmm. Now, are they correct? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe not. But more than likely, with experience, they're going to be pretty, pretty dead close. on. Yeah. yeah. Jenny talks about details you can recall before checking your bird guide. When you see a bird and you're not sure what it is, it's especially as a new birder, it's sure. very tempting to just rip out that book or pull out your phone and start looking at the app and like flipping through to try to see something that looks similar to sort of like compare in real time. Mm-hmm. And that's actually not a very good strategy. You want to do, and I had to definitely say that mantra to myself starting out, you know, you got to slow down. You have to stop and look at that bird and really look at it. And it's not just the bird. You want to notice the size, the shape, the habitat is incredibly important. Is it sitting in a tree, on the ground, you know, in the water? What, what's it doing hmm. is incredibly important as well as where it is. Like, is it in the desert, up in the mountains? Where are you? It can be incredibly relevant. And as humans, we're always drawn to color. Mm-hmm. That always the, is the first thing that people will, will walk up to me and try to describe a bird they saw. And they're trying to figure out what it was. But it was a yellow bird. <laughs> it's like, well, how big was it? And they can't remember because they were so taken by the color. Yeah that they didn't notice the other details. So really trying to notice the size, the shape, the relative size of the bill to the rest of the head. Did it have, you know, stripes of color on its wing, which are called wing bars? Did it have, uh, how long was the tail? These sorts of things, really try to absorb that and take that in Mm -hmm. before you start flipping through the book. Because the bird's going to fly away. And sometimes they fly away pretty quickly. Uh, You look down at the book and you look up and they're gone sort of situation. So you really want to take in as much as you can before you even pull out your smartphone. You've heard each of my guests mention different visual and behavioral details to pay attention to. I would say that you should pick one of these to start with, whichever comes most naturally to you. For me, visually, I found it easier to pay attention to size, color, and how the bird flew. I would pay attention to other visual details afterwards when looking at pictures that I'd taken of the bird. Thank you for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed this look back at some of the advice shared by my guests.
Episodes with regular interviews will return towards the end of October. The next episode will focus on recommendations my guests have made regarding bird identification. As always, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please let others know by leaving a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice. You can also let me know by emailing me at chris at Until next time, keep looking at birds.